Our sermon text today is 1 Timothy chapter 1, 1 through 7. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father God, it is a joy to gather as your people for worship. God, amidst all the craziness and chaos in the world, let us not lose sight uh, of this freedom that we have. Let us not take for granted that we can gather freely and worship you. And God, as we begin this study of Paul's letter to Timothy, God, we ask that your spirit would tune our hearts to your word, that you would encourage and build up, that you would admonish and convict us when needed, that we might be a people whose firm foundation is in Christ alone, that your name might resound from our lives and from the life of this church. Amen. Well, good morning. Good to be here. This is the, the last sermon I'm going to preach for a while. So I think we said we have a gathering. Is that somebody clapping? Thankfully, it's my brother-in-law. Uh, yeah, so we had a party last week to kind of say bye, and so everyone's like, what are you doing here? Uh, but our van is loaded by some miracle of God. It's all loaded, and we will leave straight from here and drive nine hours. So... Thank you all for the prayers and continued prayers. Uh, and we are obviously kicking off our time in the book of First Timothy. Last week, we read through the whole book, and I heard it small group. It was like, whoa, like there's some stuff in there. And so we'll get there. Uh, but right now, as you just heard, we're beginning in chapter 1. It's a great place to start, verses 1 through 7. And really, we're going to spend most of our time today just setting up the book of First Timothy, because there's so much richness in the fact that this letter was written at all. We're going to take a look at Paul's life and Tim, Timothy's life kind of sovereignly colliding in this deep friendship that transformed cities and countries for the gospel. So what I want to spend most of our time on this morning is just answering three simple questions. Who is Paul? Who is Timothy, and why is Paul writing this letter to Timothy? And we're going to start with Paul. And, and Paul is obviously the guy we know the most about. We're kind of acquainted with Paul. We talk about him a lot. And, and as we see in most of his letters, he, he kind of kicks it off with this formal introduction. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior... And of Christ Jesus, our hope. 
So right off the bat, Paul identifies himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus. And in the, the general, basic sense of this word, apostle literally means sent one. An apostle is someone who has been sent out for some purpose. And so Paul was obviously an apostle in the general sense. But then so are we, right? We have all been sent out. We all have an apostolic call from Jesus to go and make disciples. We've been sent out by him to proclaim salvation to the ends of the earth. But Paul is not just talking about apostleship in general. He's talking specifically about the office of an apostle, or capital A, apostle. And in scripture, the apostles were men who were personally called to follow Jesus, men who walked with Jesus and who witnessed the risen Christ, or their name was Paul, right? Paul's situation was odd. He never walked with Jesus, but he was called, and he was sent, and he did witness the risen Jesus in a miraculous way. He had a very different story than the 12, but he was an apostle nonetheless. And so the apostles were called by God and given a unique authority at the beginning of the church. And it's important to note that that Paul didn't choose to be an apostle. None of them chose to be an apostle. They were called to it. Or in Paul's words here in verse 1, an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God. Paul wasn't just called, he was commanded. And before God called him or commanded him, Paul was not a good dude. Paul was not leading Bible studies. He was not pursuing Jesus. Before his miraculous conversion, Paul was an enemy of the church. He was a religious zealot. His name was Saul, and he hated Christians, and he hated Jesus, and he had the power to actually do something about that. Believers in the first century knew about Saul, and they feared him. He was like an ISIS leader. He was seeking out, he was on the hunt to imprison and kill Christians when Jesus interrupted his plans, when he paid him a a, a visit on the road to Damascus. Jesus broke into Paul's life in the midst of his rebellion and hatred for God and said, follow me. And God called him to a life of faithfulness and a life of suffering for the sake of the gospel. And so God blinds him, and then God is talking to Ananias, right? He's like, hey, you need to go talk to this guy named Saul. And Ananias is like, yo, I know that guy. He's a bad dude. And God says, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. See, by the sovereign love and power of God, Paul went from persecutor to pastor and would ultimately write over half of the New Testament. So that's Paul. That's the writer of this letter, and he's writing to Timothy. 
my true child in the faith. Grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So obviously Paul had a deep care and love for Timothy. And Timothy was from a town called Lystra. Paul first visited Lystra in Acts 14 on his first missionary journey. And that's where, where Paul healed a crippled man, and then the Greeks kind of went crazy, and they started worshiping Paul and Barnabas, right? Awkward. That's, that's like failed evangelism, right? No, no, this is not what's supposed to be happening. And then the Jews show up, and they have Paul dragged out of the city and stoned to the point where they thought he was dead. And then once they leave and the disciples come to his limp body, Paul gets up and he's like, all right, let's go back into the city. He walks right back into the city where he was just dragged out and stoned. I love that story. So, so that was Paul's first trip to Lystra. And Paul comes back through Lystra in Acts 16 on his second missionary journey, right? Oh man, you remember how great it was there? Like, let's, let's go there again. And he either meets Timothy for the first time, or he meets a now grown-up Timothy. And so Timothy, his dad was, was a Greek, likely an unbelieving, a pagan, uh, but his mom and his grandmother were Jewish believers. In Paul's second letter to Timothy, he says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, the faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now... I am sure, dwells in you as well. So, so Timothy's mom and grandmom had raised him to know and to follow Jesus. So Paul shows up in Lystra. He meets Timothy, and in Acts 16, it says, he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. So Paul doesn't just meet Timothy and say, hey, you seem like, like a good dude. Like he hears from both of these cities like, this guy, Timothy, like he's the real deal. Timothy is this young man who loves Jesus and is serving the church faithfully. And, and Paul asked Timothy, he's like, hey, would you come with me? Would you accompany me on these missionary journeys? Would you be my disciple? And listen, Timothy, he, he, he was a pretty legit dude. I know when we read through it last week, we, we saw that he had a bit of a weak stomach and he was frequently ill, but he was the real deal. This guy was dedicated to the gospel. Paul asked Timothy, hey, would you join me? And like a good leader, Paul waited for Timothy to commit, right? Hey, come. And Timothy's like, yeah, I'll do it. And then Paul was like, oh, wait, wait. one thing I didn't mention earlier, Tim, um, now that you're committed, you're going to need to be circumcised before we roll. He waited on that part. You see, since Timothy's dad was a Greek, he wasn't circumcised. And that would have caused issues in a lot of the places that they were going to go. Right? To just go into a synagogue or teach in a synagogue, you would have had to have been circumcised. Now, I don't know how they checked that, but you had to be. So his lack of circumcision would have inhibited the gospel message. And we all know that following Jesus can be painful. But having your new friend circumcise you as a 20-something-year-old man, that is next-level faith. you got to love this guy. 
So Timothy becomes a follower or a disciple of Paul. He was a co-laborer in the gospel mission, and they were incredibly close. As Paul said, Timothy was his true child in the faith. In, in half of Paul's 14 letters, Timothy is mentioned as a co-author of the letter. He took part in constructing these letters and would often serve as Paul's scribe. So for 10 to 12 years, Paul discipled and taught and labored alongside Timothy. They grew to be family. And after all those years together, all the trials and miracles and adventures, now in his 30s, Timothy is set apart as a pastor. Paul says, I'm leaving you behind in Ephesus to be their pastor. You're going to lead this church, Timothy. And this was no small task. Ephesus was crazy. It was the epicenter of the pagan worship of the goddess Artemis, which caused a huge riot the last time Paul was there. Remember the craftsmen led by Demetrius? They made the little figurines that they called gods. Like they all kind of went 20-20 on the disciples, right? They, they caused this big riot because all of these people believing in Jesus was affecting their bottom end. They were selling less fake gods. So there was danger from the pagan worshipers, but there was also danger from false teachers, people manipulating the word of God for selfish gain, or people co-mingling elements of pagan worship with Christianity. So Paul left Timothy in Ephesus to build up and strengthen the church and the gospel. And Paul loved the people of Ephesus, and I think that's why he wanted Timothy there. He wanted someone who he trusted completely. As he wrote to the Philippians about Timothy, I have no one like him. Timothy was special. And it's pretty clear through Paul's letters that Timothy was kind of timid at times, unsure of himself. So Paul writes these letters to encourage him, to remind him of God's call on his life and the power that is his through the Holy Spirit. It's really this beautiful picture of discipleship. Paul takes him in. He disciples him for years. He teaches and loves and then sends him out. But even still, he continues to encourage and teach Timothy as he leads. And so I don't want to miss the obvious point that is implied by the lives of these two men, by the nature of this letter existing. That is, discipleship is good. You can write that down. Discipleship is good. And I know that these words are not like a newsflash to anyone here, but oftentimes, we can affirm things as good without pursuing the very things that we affirm or proclaim. Like, nobody in here is going to say, discipleship is a horrible idea. Jesus thought it was a good idea. He actually commanded it, right? In Matthew 28, go, therefore, and make disciples. So Jesus commanded it, Paul and Timothy exemplified it, so we have to ask ourselves the obvious question, am I engaged in a discipleship type of relationship? Do I have intentional gospel relationships? 
If you're an older person in age or just older in your faith, are you inviting people into your life? Letting them see your faith and helping them grow in Christ? Or, or if you're a new believer, if you're young in your faith, are you seeking out wisdom from older believers? Or maybe you're just super social and you spend times with, time with tons of folks. That's awesome. But is there gospel intentionality in your relationships? The call on our lives as the church is to encourage one another in the gospel. To speak truth in love. As Paul proclaims to the Ephesians, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And I quote this verse all the time. It is so powerful. When we as individuals speak the truth in love, pointing one another to Christ, when we use our gifts and pursue one another with intentionality, the body, that is the church, grows so that it builds itself up in love. And that is my prayer for us, that we would use our gifts and that the church would build itself up. So Paul is obviously writing this letter to encourage Timothy, but that's not the overarching purpose. So, so why did he write it? What was the occasion? And oftentimes, we have to dig for answers like this. We can't find them. They're hard to get to. But in this letter, Paul just straight up tells us. So it's awesome. In chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, Paul says, I am writing these things to you so that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. There you go. That's why he's writing it. And on the surface level, it sounds like he's like laying out rules for the Lord's house, right? No running in the Lord's house. No coffee in the Lord's house, because you might get coffee on the Lord's carpet. That's not what he's getting at here. They didn't have coffee back then. I don't know. Maybe they did. I guess coffee beans existed back then. Who knows? But Paul's not just talking about how we act at church. He's not just saying, I want you to know how to live or behave in the Lord's house, but how to live as the Lord's house. The household of God is not a place. It's a people. It's not a building. It's a family. See, before Timothy ever showed up in Ephesus, Paul wrote to this same church and said in Ephesians 2, 19 through 21, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. This is what the gospel does. It unites us in Christ as an eternal family. We are united with God and united with one another. 
And the closer we get to Jesus, the closer we will be with one another. The church is not a place where good people get together to talk about how good they are. As Jesus said in Mark 2.17, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. See, the church is a place where broken people find healing, where strangers and aliens find a home a place where sinners are proclaimed saints through the saving work of Jesus Christ. And we are all together being built into a holy temple in the Lord. And this is why Paul wrote this letter to Timothy. To encourage Timothy to lead the church well. To create a gospel culture in the church in Ephesus. To lead in such a way that models a life saturated by the gospel. And that draws people into a fuller understanding and experience of the gospel together. And this is harder than it sounds. Leading a community that is grounded in the gospel, that is grounded in gospel purity and simplicity is not easy. From the inception of the church, the culture has always pushed back against the simplicity of the gospel. And there has always been opposition from within, from the religious establishment, people trying to water down, to manipulate, to add to the truth. So Paul is writing about how we are to live as the people of God because there is danger in every direction. There were false teachers and false teaching coming from all directions trying to lead people away from the simplicity of the gospel. And that's what Paul addresses at the beginning of this letter. In verses 3 through 7, he says, I urged you when I was going to Macedonia to remain in Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. So here's the problem. There were people in Ephesus possibly some of them in the church, teaching a different doctrine, devoting themselves to myths and genealogies, chasing after this hyper-spiritualism. And Paul says that there are some who desire to be teachers of the law without really even knowing what they're talking about, which likely means they were really smart and articulate and influential people who wanted to lead, but they didn't know Jesus. They had biblical information without gospel transformation. And so it sounds like there were attacks on multiple fronts. The speculations of those who devote themselves to myths and genealogy sounds like an influence from Greek mythology, Greek mysticism, but then these people teaching the law, right, there's this Jewish influence as well. 
And we can't be certain about who all these folks were, but they were obviously manipulating the truth. And we'll dive way deeper into the false teaching and teachers in the coming weeks, but this morning I just want to close out by focusing in on verse 5. We're in, in light of these false teachers, Paul makes clear what the pastoral call on Timothy's life is. He says, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. That's powerful. Paul doesn't say, Timothy, you need to silence these false teachers so that they know that they're wrong, so that we can hang on to power and influence or protect what we've built. Paul says the aim of our charge is love. Love is our motivation. Love is our posture. Love is what will bring transformation. Love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. You see, the problem, the danger of tampering with the word of God, with allowing the watering down of the gospel or adding to the gospel is that it is unloving to apathetically sit back and watch as people are led astray, as sheep are led to the slaughter, that would be the opposite of love. So when Paul charges Timothy to be bold in the face of those who manipulate the word, that boldness stems from love, from a great care for the people of God. To keep them rooted in the gospel is the most loving thing to do. It's like the call on all of our lives to be bold and loving when we see sin in the lives of our brothers and sisters. It's hard to point things out like that. But the opposite is to ignore it. But that's not loving. That is actually selfish. We are choosing to protect ourselves from discomfort rather than protecting our brother or sister from the deceitfulness of sin. And so as we walk through this letter, we're going to cover a lot of topics and discuss a lot of different things. And some are going to be hard. Some are going to be difficult. They're going to challenge us. But the purpose of this letter, even the hard parts, is love. That we as the church would grow in love. And if that is our lens, it will be easier to navigate those sections of Scripture. And the only way a church will grow in love is through a greater understanding and acceptance of the simplicity of the gospel. Nothing added, nothing taken away. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And we need the gospel every day. So as we talked about earlier, the point of this letter is to look at how we are to live as the household of God. And living as God's people is deeply and inseparably connected to what God has done through Jesus Christ. We love because he first loved us. Like Paul, we were enemies of God. But in the midst of our rebellion, God sent his son to bear the weight of our sin and to offer us his righteousness so that we might be united with God and with one another. The bondage of sin and death have been broken. We have been set free to love God and love one another through the saving work of Jesus. 
And the health of this community will be a direct reflection of the degree to which we daily embrace the love that we have been shown in Jesus and seek to let his heart become ours with his love overflowing from our lives to those around us. That is the call on our lives. Let's pray together. Father God, this is our prayer. That we would be overwhelmed by the love that we have been shown in Jesus Christ. God, so humbled and so confident in our identity as members of the household of God that our lives as a community would overflow with this same supernatural love. God, that as each of us use our unique gifts for the good of others, the church might build itself up in love to the praise of your glorious grace. Amen. Amen.